some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird kick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. Southern California, Mr. Corson. Well, I'm uh, I'm enjoying my I'm enjoying my extended stay down here in Southern California uh, extremely well since I know um, you guys north were uh, I call home there in Oregon. Uh, you guys are dealing with uh, some chilly weather. I'm not jealous in the least. Uh, in fact, I'm getting to uh, go hiking every day and uh, enjoy the outdoors. Uh, and, and, and do a little bit of a research down here uh, that you guys up north that may not uh, feel the need or the want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've went. We've. It's unusual for uh, it, to have really cold weather on the Oregon coast where I'm at, and it. We had. Uh, we are down in the 20s, which I know in parts of the country that's like that's no big deal. So, but we actually had a. a we had snow twice on the Oregon coast uh, this past week. And uh, well, it is all gone now, and the weather is going back to, uh, like, you know, our normal warm rain. So we'll have that for the next couple of days. And uh, um, I'm not I'm, – I'm actually looking forward to it warming up a little bit. I am not um, accustomed to acclimated to the super cold weather mm-hmm. or – or 20s. <laughs> and, and I've seen some of my friends out there that are, you know, down in the minus, uh, in the minus temperatures, and I I feel sorry for them. So, uh, so um, as our, our listeners may know, I am also the uh, founder of the Sasquatch Coffee Company. Uh, you can go online at www.squatchcoffee.com to uh, order uh, your gift baskets and coffee for your family and friends. There is still time to get um, 
send out Sasquatch coffee. But uh, as you know, we're a week away from Christmas, so uh, I would get on after you know after the show is over with and place those orders right away, so we can get make sure to get them out to you. Um, with us today is Mr. Seth Breedlove. Seth is the uh, creator and creative mind behind Small Town Monsters. Um, their most recent um, addition is a Boggy Creek Monster, which is now available for your viewing pleasure. Also with us today is Mr. Lyle Blackburn. Um, Lyle is is a the go-to guy and expert uh, on on the Boggy Creek Monster and participated in. Um, creating this this new adventure. So uh, without further ado, I would like to get our uh, guest to join us. Shane, did you want to bring them on? Oh, here, I got it. There we go. Good Sunday evening, gentlemen. Seth and Lyle, are you there? Howdy, I am Lyle. here. All right. We're good. Welcome to, Monst- Welcome to Monster X Radio, guys. Thank you for having so, us. Okay. Well, Seth, Seth, tell us a little bit, for those that haven't heard of Small Town Monsters, um, let's give a little bit of background of, of what that is all about. How did that come to be? Yeah, Small Town Monsters is like a, a basically a documentary film series that documents these uh, highly bizarre, kind of unusual creature sightings around the country. Um it it was created back in 2012, 2013 as a book project, and then kind of became a a documentary film series. And we've we've made two other movies besides the uh, Boggy Creek Monster, um, Minerva Monster, which was our first film, and Beast of Whitehall, which was our second. It came out also this past year. I keep thinking Beast of Whitehall came out like a year or two ago, but it was it was just last spring. It's just been such a crazy year. So, um, yeah, the, the three we've done so far kind of look at Bigfoot, you know, um, in different geographical areas around the country. Um, uh, but we have other, you know, topics we want to explore moving forward as well. So um, it's, it's basically a no-nonsense look at, the, at, at historical Bigfoot sightings. So it was something I felt was lacking for a long time. Um, as far as these kind of in-depth looks at, at Bigfoot cases. And so that's what we're doing. We're making movies that I would like to see, I think is what it is. No, and that's... What is, that's uh, it, I've seen um, all... I've seen two of them. I have not got to see uh, Boggy Creek yet. It's on my my uh, soon-to-view list. And uh, I'm planning on actually watching it over uh, the Christmas break. So, but... Um, both Minerva Monster and uh, the Beast of Whitehall were awesome, well done. Um, and like you say, they're they're uh, done. They're not tongue in cheek. They are done uh, like a documentary and um, professionally done. Um, a pleasure to watch. Uh, and and it's what was really cool is to see um, these particular stories from these areas be gone into in in such uh, detail and, and interviews and, and where you actually went to the locations. And like I said, I'm looking forward to seeing the third installment. So you guys do an excellent job and uh, I'm, awesome. I'm looking forward to it. So 
Um, yeah, thanks. You betcha. So, so uh, Lyle, tell us a little bit about your background for those uh, that may be unfamiliar with you. Okay. Unfamiliar with me? Um, basically, uh, <laughs> I am <laughs> – here's the short of it. Uh, I'm an author and cryptid researcher living in Texas. I've written several books, among those The Beast of Boggy Creek, which does document the history of the Boggy Creek Monster, a.k.a. the Fout Monster. Um, I've been into the subject of cryptozoology pretty much all my life, and one of the uh, turning points would, would have been seeing the movie The Legend of Boggy Creek when I was a kid back in the 70s, and that really gripped my imagination and uh, propelled me forward in my interest of the subject because I live about three hours from Falk, Arkansas, where that all happened. And uh, so it's been a lifelong interest, but it wasn't until recent years uh, that I started uh, writing more professionally and decided to write a book and I thought, well, what are my favorite subjects? What is my all-time favorite subject? And I thought The Legend of Boggy Creek. So I wrote that book, and then from there, uh, that propelled me sort of into the world of television When, whenever some of the shows began doing uh, pieces on the Boggy Creek monsters, such as Finding Bigfoot, Monsters and Mysteries in America. I appeared on those. Um, I was later brought on to the Monsters and Mysteries in America series as a story producer, and uh, have done uh, several other projects similar to that. And most recently, as you mentioned, I participated in Seth and the Small Town Monsters documentary, Beast of Boggy Creek. Uh, I mean, it's confusing, Boggy Creek Monster, <laughs> and, uh, which was uh, something that uh, you know, I really enjoyed and something that I thought was uh, long overdue, you know, sort of a – documentary that looked into this case and uh, the history of the sightings of the Fout Monster and the making of the Legend of Boggy Creek. So in some ways, it was much like uh, bringing my Beast of Boggy Creek book to life, uh, whereas, you know, I'm a writer, Seth is a filmmaker, now you could see the visuals, you could hear the uh, witnesses speak for themselves, the interviews with uh, all the relevant individuals such as the sheriff who was there when a lot of this happened back in the seventies and the witnesses who have continued to see the creature to this day. So um, that's a little bit about me and and how I got involved in all this and how Seth and I have uh, collaborated on this recent project. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. Uh, Fantastic documentary. And Seth, uh, what sparked your real interest in, in, in doing uh that beats, you know, a Boggy Creek, uh, the Boggy Creek monster. What really sparked your interest? Uh, was it, uh, you know, you've done other films on other small town monsters. Uh, the the Legend of Boggy Creek, the Boggy Creek monster, truly is one of those epic um, legends uh, and mysteries uh, here in 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 the United States. Uh, it's something I grew up fascinated with. Was what was your experience with the Bog Creek Monster? What got you? Uh, what started getting the wheels turning there? Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people we talk to are into Bigfoot because of that movie, because of the Legend of Boggy Creek, 
Um, and I know a ton of people kind of grew up aware of it or, you know, like my buddy, Mark Matsky, who I do a lot of work with, he's, he's been obsessed with that movie for, for years. But for me, I didn't see it until two years ago. And in fact, it was actually after, um, I had read Lyle's book. So I read Lyle's book, the beast of Boggy Creek, and that kind of got me interested in seeing the movie. Um, so it's, it's kind of like watching back to the future in reverse or something, but, um, (laughs) I, I I basically just really uh, responded to Lyle's book. In fact, I mean, I've said this pretty openly. I, I think Lyle's book, The Beast of Boggy Creek, is one of the reasons Small Town Monsters exists. Um, it's It was kind of the book that got me thinking in the direction of uh, – cultural impact of these cases on communities and things like that. Cause you know, essentially what Lyle did was, was tell a story that was very much in the vein of what we do now visually with, mm-hmm. with the movies. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it was, I, I really think it was Lyle's book that, that kind of drew me to the case. Now I will say though, uh, it was extremely intimidating and it was not a story I had planned on telling anytime soon. It was something Lyle and I had talked about way back but it wasn't one I was like chomping at the bit to get to because it's so big and sprawling. And I still feel like I have a lot of room to grow as a filmmaker and a storyteller. And it was, it was one of those things where it's an intimidating thing to jump into telling the story and to, you know, Lyle's invested like years of, of his life into this story. And I'll say this about Lyle, like he is a, I don't think he'd argue with me. He is a boggy Creek geek like he geeks out over boggy creek stuff and it's this very like it's this it's totally innocent fun like he is so into it that to be around him is is extremely infectious because he gets you into it as well and it's one of those things where when i read the book um i thought well he did such a good job of telling the story i don't know how to tell the story you know on our own in, in a visual setting so uh, Lyle and I talked about it we decided this was going to be the movie and I spent the next year stressing out about how are we going to tell the story because I I just felt an extremely um, large obligation to not just Lyle but to to everyone you know to to the Crabtree family to the Fords and and Charles Pierce's family it's like this massive group of people who you have to at the end of the day you have to feel like you you do owe them you know in a certain way so um it was a very intimidating story to jump into um but you know it 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 wasn't something we took lightly and i think we spent a lot of time examining how to tell the story and how to be respectful to everyone and still tell something that you know, advanced us as a as a company as a, as storytellers, advanced the storytelling and and kind of took us to the to the next level. Um, you know, in terms of our filmmaking, so um, it was it was over a year before we started filming that Lyle and I had talked about making the movie and and kind of decided we were going in that direction. In fact, it was right after we had finished um, Minerva Monster. So it it was on the docket. It was on the docket actually even before Beast of Whitehall, which has been out for a long time now. But we knew um, pretty soon after Minerva, this is where we were going next. And I hope I, it's like it's one of those things where I was waiting on pins and needles to see what the response was going to be because you're just so nervous about how people will respond to the project. But um, yeah, that's kind of the long and short of it is everything's because of we 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 took this as our next film because of Lyle. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but what a what a kind of a extraordinary and monumental move for for Minerva for Small Town Monsters and yourself because you've done uh, you know um, part of me Minerva Monster and Beast of Whitehall, which are known but not even on the same level as the no, you know the Beast yeah. of Boggy Creek. Iconic. Yeah, I'm thinking it while you're right. while you're talking. I'm thinking it. There's a couple of uh, iconic stories that that most everybody who's in Bigfooting, and if they're not, they shouldn't be, are are familiar with, and that's that's uh, <clears throat> the Patterson Gimlin story and and the Boggy Creek story, if you will. So the Faust monster, but uh, yeah, that's iconic. And you took on. And it was good that you you did such a great job on the first two but but the and as you would expect somebody who who is wants to do uh, the story justice you you found you know the person who had is is passionate about it in Lyle and and that's that was uh, a a perfect for like marriage of of somebody who knows you know has that background in you and and has already written the book on the subject, so well, literally written the book on the subject. So, um, I'm, like I said, I, I haven't I haven't caught Boggy Creek yet, but I'm chomping at the bit to to uh, watch it. Yeah, Lyle Lyle did most of the work that I had done on the first two in terms of pre-production work. So, this is this was also a little. I don't know. I wouldn't say easier because at the same time I, I was able to mostly focus on how we were going to tell the story. But Lyle was the guy that had done the research here. So on Minerva and Whitehall, that was my, you know, for, I spent months doing that stuff. Well, this is something where Lyle had spent years kind of researching this in advance. So mm-hmm. it was his baby. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I mean, the go-to guy, and what a what a what a privilege and pleasure it must have been having a friend and, and a colleague and and an expert on the subject working uh, with you on this film. I mean, how did that actually transpire? You guys had talked about it for over a year, um, and I'm sure uh, Lyle loved your work with the first two films. Uh, and, I mean, how did that all come into being? And what was – how did Lyle end up playing the narrator in the film? How did that all help transpire? Um, uh, Lyle can probably talk to this some too, but I mean, as I remember it, Lyle and I had talked about doing this project back when we interviewed him on, on my podcast that I used to do. Um, him and I had talked about potentially doing something relating to Boggy Creek down the road. Um, as far as like how the creative process works between us, it was basically Lyle unloaded, uh, his, his vast wealth of knowledge on me, including like witness names and, and all that kind of stuff. Like these are the people we need to talk to. This is, you know, like he gave me a very detailed list and we would go back and forth on who we could get and who we couldn't get. Um, when it came to the storytelling side of things, Lyle kind of let me figure it out for myself, which is good because anyone that works with me knows I'm, I tend to be, I I tend to be independent almost to a fault. Like I, I, have to figure these things out for myself or I cannot, like I can't wrap my brain around it. And there was this thing I wanted to do, and I can remember having conversations with Lyle about this, including the day before we started filming, that it was it was weird to try to explain to people, I want to, okay, so Lyle's going to narrate the movie, but I also want to have Lyle 
on camera. And the narration is going to be in like this first person kind of storytelling perspective where we're seeing the, the Boggy Creek story unfold through Lyle's eyes, but he's also explaining this vast history that goes back to the 1800s. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I knew, I knew what it was going to be when it was done, but to explain it to other people was kind of, it was difficult to understand, I think, for some people. But Lyle kind of trusted me, I guess, enough to let me be insane and, uh, and think we could pull it off. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of the way our process worked, was he just unloaded his research on me and then kind of let me go buck wild with the, uh, with the creative storytelling kind of stuff. Yeah, he basically basically threw up Boggy Creek all over you. (laughs) Well, and that was the thing. I mean, he he had created two well-made documentaries on for a low budget that looked great, and I Mm. thought, you know, I'm not going to – that's what he's bringing to the table. I mean, I've done all the research and can take you to the places and – uh, you know, get you up to speed on all that, and you know I can surely narrate it. But when it came to the visuals and the approach, that you know, it definitely was something that you don't want to compromise the artistry. And Seth knows what he's doing, and uh, I—that's the reason I agreed to do it in the first place. Because we had, like we mentioned, we had discussions about this, and even when we first met, we talked about our appreciation for these small town monster stories, not just the monsters themselves, but the impact this has on the local communities. And that's what I connected with. And we sort of were coming at it from the same viewpoint. Uh, we're just telling the story and we're telling the complete story. And that's, uh, you know, what I, you know, trusted that he would do and what I had done in my book. And one reason that Falk has embraced the book so much and it has in, uh, influenced the town uh, because I, I didn't ignore you know, I took it in a serious fashion and so forth. So I knew Seth uh, was the right guy to do it. And people have come at me with these ideas and approach me and wanting, you know, even asking me when I'm going to remake the legend of Boggy Creek and all this stuff. I'm like, you know, it's not, it's not my specialty. So, so when, when, as we spoke about it, I thought, you know, this is the guy to do it. I saw beasts of Whitehall and I thought, man, you know, just getting better and better. So I, I left it in his hands and, it worked very well because we both brought uh, our strong points to the table. And I think that translates to the best film rather than one person trying to, you know, steer the bus themselves. It was a a definite collaboration uh, between ourselves and and the other guys, the soundtrack and uh, the cinematography all work together to make it a better film. And so that, that's really uh, why, why it results in, in, in the, you know, good reviews it's gotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of, one of the, one of the things I really look for, for when I'm watching a film like this, a documentary, a, a story, uh, something that's historical, has historical value is I always look, you know, who's behind the filming and who's involved in it. And, and one of the things that I see happening more and more nowadays with these, um, sort of endeavors, these, sort of these films, is a bit of fabrication, uh, you know, fabrication, stretching of the truth, um, things that aren't needed in a lot of these documentaries. And the, the Boggy Creek, the legend of Boggy Creek, the Boggy Monster, it doesn't need it. I mean, am I correct? I think it's, a, it's an amazing uh, story uh, with amazing people involved. It doesn't need that. And I'm, I'm seeing um, 
your work, uh, Seth, uh, and you know the number of monster and whatnot, and was blown away at just the the real, I could just, the realness that I could feel it, I could see it. It was very um, appealing to me. I have not seen the Boggy Creek yet, the Boggy Creek monster yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and I'm sure you felt, <laughs> and you've never felt any need to fabricate or, or stretch any of the truth, just you know, based on on the story itself. It's it's amazing. Yeah, no, the, the stories in this movie especially are so um, kind of epic on their own. I don't feel like there's any – I mean, I feel this way about all of our stories, but I don't feel right. like anything, in, especially in this particular story, needed to be stretched or, or anything. And honestly, the movie – the movie takes you through, you know, almost well over a century's worth of, of sighting reports, really, if you if you take a step back and look at it. We started in the mm-hmm. 1800s with the Wildman stuff and bring you all the way up till today. Um, and you've got you've got the the reality of what happened with the Crabtree family and the Ford family and all that stuff in the movie. I mean, uh, on its own, those are extremely fascinating, creepy, you know, kind of unnerving encounters, especially the... You know, the Ford incident is a really, and, and Lyle can talk to that more so than me, but the, yeah. the Ford incident starts so unsettling to me with the creature in the window and, you know, the hand coming through the window and all that stuff. And so for us, it was just about putting that on on screen in a way that would kind of help to put people in that situation for themselves. And and a, a lot of people I've talked to who've seen the movie really responded to the, the Ford sequence and the Crabtree uh, the Link Crabtree sequence. So I think for us, it's more about just trying to help people to place themselves in the shoes of the people who are actually there in these situations, um, more so than, hey, let's recreate it for you so you can see it, you know, like, let's get a bunch of crazy dramatization going and, and create basically a, a horror movie within the context of this documentary. We're We're more about trying to to put people, have people place themselves in those shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned, Seth, earlier how you kind of, you felt like you owed it to the Crabtrees and Charles Pierce and, and Dick. So that shows a little bit of, uh, kind of makes it personal for you in the fact that you, you, you do want to honor uh, those that were actually there, those that were involved. Um, and that's, you know, to me that's honorable and, and also the way it should be. Uh, Lyle, a uh, question for you is, can you speak a little bit about uh, some of the people um, involved with this amazing uh, encounter, you know, story that transpired? Uh, can you talk a little bit about the Crabtrees and, and, and the people involved? Uh, you know so much about them. It's amazing. Uh, sure. You know, that, and that's one thing that's been sort of a bonus in all of my research is actually getting to know so many people there in Falk, uh, the Crabtree family, and many other families that were uh, either behind the scenes or had sightings or sightings that had never been told. And as I got to know these people, uh, it almost reinforced the strength of the case because, you know, it's one thing to interview somebody you don't know one time and then take away from that what you can. But when you start getting to know these people and you, you know, you, you can look more into their uh, histories and personalities and things, and they stick to their stories, and uh, you know they're slow to just unload this stuff on any stranger. So as I as they began to trust me, uh, I, I began to you know really understand that they're telling the truth. What it, what happened is what happened, and those are the stories. And 
the Crabtree family obviously has a long connection with this, going back to the legend of Boggy Creek. Um, one of the seminal encounters occurred in 1965 uh, by Smokey Crabtree's son, Lynn, who had a sighting there on the Crabtree property. And that was one of the things that was uh, dramatized and, and uh, you know, told in the Legend of Boggy Creek movie. And, you know, you saw Smokey Crabtree in the movie and his son, Travis, who played the part of Lynn, actually, in the movie. But, uh, you know, the... I, you know, I came to know Smokey well, and uh, he passed away in January, and I was at his funeral and, and have come to know others in his family, and uh, I have a great respect for them and uh, other families, the Cersei family. We talk about them in the documentary. They're, they're, they have a house that was used in the old movie, and uh, Mary Beth Cersei is one of the prime witnesses from the 60s, um, just a great bunch of people. I've gotten to know her brother and uh, other you know other members of the family just fantastic people whether you whether you're talking about the monster or you're just there visiting on a Sunday afternoon and just you know talking about this or that he's a musician we both talk uh, music and uh, there's so many other families in town that I've gotten to know and it was a pleasure when the small town monsters crew came down to do the filming because I had already had such a presence in the town and could introduce them to folks quickly or get us in places, um, you know, where, uh, you know, people aren't going to bother us and they know we're filming and, and, uh, people to help us out, you know, arrange things or do what they could to help our production. So, um, you know, just a great response. And, uh, again, just like my book had, uh, taking this in a serious fashion that we just let the people tell their stories, the witnesses. Um, Seth did that with the movie. And so, you know, he's now, uh, you know, a part of the, a part of the legend himself and well-respected uh, in the town because yet again, we've uh, told the story in a very professional and, you know, honest manner. And so all that sort of translates and comes full circle into uh, the respect for these families and the story. And like you say, we just simply tell it. We don't have to exaggerate, make it goofy or do any of that because it's fascinating just unto itself. Mm -hmm. How, well, how did, how did this particular event uh, and, and subsequent events, how did, how did it affect the community then uh, as a whole? How did it, what, what happened with this community um, I mean, I know the story well, and others not so much, perhaps uh, some of our viewing audience. But how did it affect the community? Did it uh, really create a stir in the community? Oh, yeah, definitely. the uh, The first public knowledge of the Fountain Monster came in May of 1971, and that's when the Ford family had reported incidents of a creature creeping around the house. They ended up uh, confronting it with a shotgun and one of the members of the family ended up in the Texarkana hospital and that ended up in the newspaper. And that's kind of where it all started publicly uh, for this tale. And right from the get go, once uh, something was publicized saying that, you know, people in Falcon seen a big hairy monster, people started descending on, onto the town looking for this place. They wanted to see the Ford house that, um, you know, things like that. And this even brought, Charles Pierce, who who made the legend of Boggy Creek to town. So right there, you started having 
problems with people coming into this little bitty. I mean, it's a very, very small town at the time. In this, back in the seventies, it was a population of like 500 people. So uh, that, that, that was already a problem. And then when the legend of Boggy Creek came out and went on to become a sensation in the theater markets back in the seventies, I mean, this was drawing hundreds of people to the town uh, many of them armed, uh, looking to, you know, shoot the monster, you know, themselves. And, you know, that was a huge problem because Spout didn't have its own police force. They depended on the Miller County Sheriff's Office. And, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of the these guys were pulling into town. They were, you know, people were drinking. I, I personally know several guys whose dads uh, went up and, participated in these monster hunts and people were trampling all over private property. Uh, Smokey Crabtree had a huge problem because he was a name in the movie and people were coming down, uh, literally just not practically knocking down the gate to his property to try to see him or to uh, take pieces of, uh, of, I mean, it would take pieces of his trees just for souvenirs. So, you know, this is, this is a very small problem. It's a very big problem in a very small town. And, uh, you know, it's it's something that is talked about in the documentary even because we interviewed the retired sheriff, H.L. Phillips, who was the sheriff, Miller County Sheriff at the time. And he talks about some of this, and my book goes into even more detail of people mm-hmm. waking up and seeing people camping on their property. So, yeah, it was, it was a problem on a huge scale. And it, if you look at a lot of these small-town monsters cases, um, you know, all over the U.S., this kind of always – occurs you know but the legend of boggy creek was at such a magnitude because it had a huge successful movie about it that it just amplified all of these problems you can get when somebody in a small town reports seeing a fantastic creature yeah seth what was your experience working with some of these town folks some of the uh, descendants of the those that actually were there when things transpired and, and of course, uh, uh, you know those that actually were there. What was your experience working with in the town as well? Yeah, I I'm getting I'm getting to a point where I feel a little more comfortable, kind of in in that role of of talking to these people. But I don't think you ever get over the obligation you feel to to witnesses, especially, but you know, to relatives and things like that as well. To to let them just have some degree of comfort knowing you're not there to, you know, make a mockery of them or anything like that. There's, that's always a huge issue. Um, you know, it, with Minerva, it took us months of talking to Howie before we could get him to, to kind of agree to come on and be in the film. But yeah, with this one, it was, um, so my family is from, from like North Carolina, my dad's side of the family is from North Carolina. And I, so I grew up down, you know, visiting the South a lot. And it, this was, in a way, it was uh, almost like coming home or something. The people there are just extremely friendly. Um, so just just being around those people is pretty, you know, they put you at ease. There was an interview we did on the last day um, at, the, at, at one of the homes where the family actually prepared us, like, lunch, like this lavish, huge, like, southern lunch. And uh, so the crew was, was extremely happy with that. And, and um, But I think... Yeah, I think you're always just trying to make sure that the the people you're speaking to are at ease with you. Um not just not just so they're, you know, so so they'll talk 
clearly on camera, be a good interview, but also just so they, you know, know that they have your respect and that you, you're showing them a certain degree of respect. I mean, Lyle could talk about that too. There's like a huge, a huge part of interviewing people is just making sure that the person you're talking to is comfortable with you. Um, you know, that way they're not, you know, skittish or, or nervous talking to you. They can remember things a little more clearly. Um, so, and, and obviously having Lyle with me because that was a big part of the interviews on this film. It was something I've never done before. We, Lyle and I would actually stand together for interviews. So when we were interviewing someone, we were actually standing side by side talking to the person. So, which I'm sure in a lot of cases, um, other than Falk, Arkansas, that might have been a little unnerving for people. But since it was me and Lyle, and a lot of these people are very comfortable with Lyle, I think it put some of the people more at ease than they might have been otherwise. But um, actually, it was just a, a kind of a it was a, it was an interesting way of interviewing subjects because I would toss them a question, and and then Lyle could kind of you know, build off of that question or he could take the conversation in another direction. And so, so as far as like talking head interviews, that was how we handled that. And then we did uh, three or four, I think it was four actually kind of handheld interviews where Lyle was actually standing, talking to the person, you know, to the subject and we put them on camera in that way too. But yeah, for, for us, as far as like an interview, I think you're just trying to, to be comfortable around the people, make the people comfortable. And then as far as the town goes, this was of the three films we've done. This was by far the one that I left feeling like I was at home there. You know, like the people were extremely welcoming. I mean, when we went back for the premiere of the film last month, um, it, it was kind of brought home even more so because I walked back into the Monster Mart after however many months since we had filmed last. And this was my third time down there, but I walked into the Monster Mart and I had my mom and dad with me and I'm there with Lyle and I'm there with Brandon Dalo who did the music and all this. And like, I'm like, man, this just feels like home. You know, like I walked in, I ordered a piece of pizza, I sat down, you know, you talk, we're in there like five minutes and a guy comes walking in and tells us his Bigfoot story. And it's just, it's, it's very much like a very homey kind of, I, I love it down there. I really do. I love the town. I love the people. Yeah, it does sound like an amazing town. And I have to agree with you. One of the hardest things uh, I've found is, is interviewing people, and, uh, you know, in person specifically, um, interviewing people, because you're really, you're face-to-face with them. Um, you're looking them in the eye. Um, they're telling you their story. They're telling you something that tra- happened in their life, uh, you know, something, you know, and, and you're sitting there and you're, taking it in and it's one of those things where uh the less questions you ask the better um, let them tell the story i've always found that to be the best way don't you know and, and you learn so much it's just it's really an honor a lot of ways to to um listen to these uh these people that have had these encounters um, these incredible encounters uh, especially one like gunner had mentioned I- iconic encounters uh with something unknown it's it's truly a blessing it's really unique and um yeah yeah especially in the case of someone like hl phillips where he was he was actually uh the miller county sheriff and was one of the the people that responded to the ford incident phone call like when they called the police he was Mm -hmm. at the scene the night of all that so and and we have him actually telling us that story and you got to think that's early 60s, late 60s, you know, it's a it's a long time ago. A lot of these people that were involved in the story, 
either don't want to talk about it because of the fear of ridicule or they're not around to tell their story, you know, like Smokey Crabtree. And so to, to, to have HL actually with us and willing to talk to us, um, you definitely feel a, an extreme obligation when you're, even when you're talking to him. And he never saw a creature, but he is a major part of that story. He's a major part of that history. Absolutely. What was what was HL's experience? Not so much experience, forgive me, but what are, what are his thoughts looking back on it? And I don't want to spoil you know uh, the film or anything, but just a little bit of insight into his his experience. Uh, Lyle probably best answer that question. Mm-hmm. Well, Mr. Phillips, um, I you know I first got to know him when I was writing my book, and you know I I knew his name well because. Uh, in reading a lot of the old archived newspaper reports, you know, his name was mentioned because he investigated most of the early cases from 1971 on. Now, he had been a, a deputy for the Miller County Sheriff's Office for many years before the 70s. So he was, you know, in law enforcement for a very long time, and he, he didn't retire till 2000. So uh, he was present for a lot of that. And uh, the one thing I got from him was that, you know, he never, he never scoffed at any of this stuff, you know, and he, he was a law, you know, law enforcement guy. And usually if a law enforcement person thinks it's, it's all bunk, they'll tell you so. Um, but he, even to this day, just really can't explain, uh, what people were seeing, but he feels that, uh, these were legitimate sightings. People were definitely seeing something and, uh, he took it very seriously. So his recollections to this bring a great perspective. You know, somebody who you would think would be on the other side of the fence, you know, uh, in 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 this sort of view of this Bigfoot subject, but, but he's not. You know, he definitely uh, backs up what the local citizens were saying. And so uh, he's a very well-spoken guy and uh, super great stories. And just, just to have him on camera in this documentary was for me, uh, you know, great. And that's one reason why I felt, you know, Seth and I had talked about doing the documentary and it just sort of all of a sudden, well, well, let's do it. And there really is of the essence because Sheriff Phillips, you know, he's, you know, he's older and you want to get these, these recollections down, you know, you want to film these things. You know, I had his interviews in the book, but there's nothing like seeing the guy telling the story. So uh, time was of the essence and to get guys like this um, that were there when, you know, the most famous, I guess, incidents had happened. And he stands behind all that to this day. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty, I find it fascinating. And I love the name small town monsters because there, there's these, these iconic and sometimes lesser-known stories in, in, in the United States here where, you know, these, you have these moments in time where something unique happens in these small towns in these small areas, uh, and folk is one of those areas. I was, I'm curious, uh, Lyle, and Seth, I'd like your perspective on this as well, but Lyle, what, in your opinion, do you think was happening in that town? Do you think there, there truly was a beast? Uh, do you think, uh, and, and do you lean towards Sasquatch, uh, what's your opinion on what was going on in that town, having done all this research in, in the town, um, around the town, in the folklore, and getting all the people involved? Uh, what's your opinion? What, what was going on there? It, and got one more thing to add to that, and that is, like I said, you get these these things happening. 
periodically in these small towns around the U.S. Why? What was so unique about this? What was really going on? Why would a beast be acting the way it did in this town? Well, and I, and I think it's a question about what was going on. It's a question of what is going on because uh, there's, you know, I've I've investigated recent cases with the last one being in May where I felt somebody had seen something legitimate. Uh, people often ask me, you know, what do you think the falcon monster is? Do you think it's a Bigfoot? Well, certainly I do. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the description of a roughly seven foot tall hair covered animal that can walk on two legs. I mean, you're talking about a Bigfoot and, you know, it could be a, of the Southern variety, a Southern Sasquatch of sorts, um, something like that. But there certainly in my mind would be a somewhat of a small population living in the remote sulfur river bottom, something that has been seen over a long period of time. It's not just one individual. Uh, it would be a group of individuals, which could explain some of the variations in height and also the lengthy period in which it's been seen in the area, which is over a hundred years. Um, and so I think what people were seeing at the time was quite possibly a, a Bigfoot creature. And, you know, it still is, and it, and it was at that time. And uh, like Sheriff Phillips, all the people I've interviewed, um, the ones that I believe are credible, and, uh, you know, I think they definitely saw something. I mean, people are not making this up. You know, I've heard all the so-called explanations oh well my cousin dressed up in a suit he was the falcon monster uh, you know moonshiners made this up to keep people out of the woods and all kinds of nonsense and while surely there there could have been a person or two or, or several hoaxes perpetrated at some points you have got a such a long history of sightings and you have uh, you know sightings by hunters in the woods where this thing has come under a tree stand or approach places like that. This is not, nobody in a suit is going to be that crazy. I mean, you know, they may run across the road or something. There, there's something, there's definitely something to it, the phenomenon of the sightings. And, you know, this, you know, this is not just isolated to right. Falk. There's a history of sightings all over the South and all over the U S of, of these sort of creatures. So, you know, I think ultimately it's a Bigfoot, uh, if anything, and and that uh, you know, it's it's a phenomenon that we're still trying to explain, and something that I thought is great to have the witnesses on camera, and when you see these in the these witnesses in the film, and again, people I've gotten to know uh, quite well over the last few years, some people that I've visited, you know, dozens of times, and I'm telling you, these people are absolutely sane individuals, well-spoken individuals, and uh, they saw something that I just simply can't explain, and you can hear it in their words in the film. So um, now as to why the beast has a reputation for being aggressive and why that sort of stands out, part of that is because, yes, some of these in instances, like the Ford incident, the creature was creeping around and appeared to be aggressive, trying to get in the home, uh, things like that, and Part of that is, is based on the facts of those reports, and part of it's just based on the legend of Boggy Creek, which really did play up that sort of aggressive angle uh, that you know the southern Sasquatch seems to have um, in that. So it's kind of amplified in many ways, and where in the reality, a lot of the sightings were simply 
things running across the road or brief sightings, you know, just your typical Bigfoot where it's a very fleeting moment. You see something come out of the woods and quickly disappear. Not always uh, one of the cases where it's chasing you or anything like that. So um, I think its reputation is, is somewhat (laughs) sensationalized, but you know, while at the same time there is some fear of the creature and it has been known to attack. So, you know, yeah, I think you know you brought up a great point. I think with these larger stories that we, we they tend to get lost in the shuffle, the actual history um, that goes along with it—that it's not just a one incident sort of thing. It's actually a history, um, and 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 still going on this day. And that's a great point, uh, Lyle. I, obviously, you've done you know the history, and you're still getting reports to this day, and and individuals still coming forward with stuff. So that's a great point. Uh, it's not just one event. It, it's it's happened, it's happening, and it'll probably happen some more. So, Seth, what's your opinion on what's going on? Do you share uh, Lyle's um, Lyle's you know uh, Lyle's thinking? Are you you, you kind of on the same ship there? I just I think it's a guy in a suit who's been running around that hundred. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing no. that you and Lyle not sitting next to each other. I think right now. <laughs> no, um, it's my son. No, my cousin, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even tell you that in the in the amount of time I've been down there, I've probably had ten different people come up to me and say, "Hey, man, I th- I, re- I think it was a guy in a suit or something like that." But um, no, I you know it was funny when when I was down there for the first time, which was like last October. Lyle and and myself, we were he was kind of driving me around and showing me all these places, and um, he said to me, I was telling him how I'm still a little on the skeptical side of this whole, the whole subject in general, just cause I want to see something for myself. And Lyle said to me, I'll tell you, man, he said, um, you stand a, as good a chance as seeing one of these things just driving around down here, across the road in front of you as you do in any other part in the country. And I think he's right because like if these things exist, everyone down there has a a friend or a relative or someone who claims to have seen one of these things. I mean, it's not, it's not an exaggeration and and Lyle could, could back me up on that because it's like you were, we were literally in the monster mart for probably less than five minutes when we first got into Falk and we had a guy walk in who started telling us about being like followed through the woods down there by some sort of bipedal creature. And, and that's, that's how it is. My first time in the monster Mart, I walked in, walked up to the counter, the lady at the counter recognized me, said, you're the, you're the guy that's going to make the movie about the creature or whatever. And this guy at the counter turns around and says to me, Hey, you know, my brother saw one cross the road, uh, cross the road right down the street from the monster Mart. He like said, he'd seen this thing run across the road late one night and, so I mean, it, it seems like if if I'm going to ever have my skepticism done away with, it's going to be it's going to be down in Falk, Arkansas, because these things everyone's got a story. And like Lyle said, there there can't be you know it's said in our movie as well. There can't just be one Falk monster. There's got to be some sort of sustainable population of these things. And we have reports of younger looking creatures. We have a, a report in our movie of a, from a lady who says what she saw looked like a juvenile and had juvenilistic uh, characteristics in its face. So it's, uh, if you're going to, if you're going to solve the mystery, I think it's going to happen there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and chances are, if you're, you are going to see one as Lyle pointed out, it's probably going to be driving around since the stats 
prove that most sightings are people driving, <laughs> seeing one. <laughs> yeah, I always find it funny because, you know, as a cryptid researcher, Bigfoot researcher, you know, we always want to go into the most difficult and remote places and, and endure conditions and swamps and, and climbing up mountains and all this. I'm like, you know, dudes, <laughs> I just talked to a lady who saw it running across the road. Why don't we drive in a truck? It, it's funny, you know, when you think about it. So uh, certainly I think going into a remote area is, is a, a place where you would actually have a chance of encountering a reclusive creature like this. But, you know, in all reality, yeah, just drive the road. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So part part of what I got out of that is that in Falk, Arkansas, uh, the Falk monster basically is the Kevin Bacon of, of Falk, Arkansas. Seven degrees of separation between. It might even not. Doesn't even sound like it's that far. That how many? I don't, I don't have think it's seven degrees. Encounter. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <God. laughs> it certainly is. But I've, I mean, and I've had really... that, I've had that same experience in in Oregon. Is that you talk to somebody and if people know that you're have an interest in, in the subject is that you'll find people that, that want to share their, their stories with you. So it's, uh, I, I find that to be, uh, true as true here as it is in, uh, South Arkansas is that people, if they know that you're willing to listen, there's, you're going to find folks that it, it's great because that you become kind of a magnet for people that, to share their encounters with some folks that have you know never had um, the opportunity to share their their encounter previously with anybody i'm have you guys had that uh, experience while have you ran across people that like wow i haven't told anybody this story in thirty years or twenty years, and they know that that you're uh not going to think they're crazy for telling the story so they share it with you. Oh, certainly. Yeah, many of the yeah. accounts that I've, you know, investigated in this and other places, uh, yeah, it's the first time they've been willing to talk to somebody because, you know, I was, in, and a lot of times, in the case of Falk, I was referred by, you know, well-respected citizens there as I got to know a guy who is a historian in the area. He he grew up there, and he knows people, and he he would, early on, he would be on the phone uh, calling people saying, I've got, you know, this guy, Lyle Blackburn, he's working on the book. You should really come down here and talk to him. I can promise you he's he's very serious about this. You know, it's it's something that I think is good for our the history of our community. And he would literally talk people into coming down there. If it wasn't for that, they would have never talked to me and never talked to any other journalist or researcher at all. So you have to build some trust. And, and yeah, there's been many times where I was the first person that outside, you know, the family and a few friends that they had ever told about these incidents. Yeah, yeah that's, Terry, Terry I mean, that, Sutton's kind of a perfect example of that, too, Lyle. Yeah, Terry, and that that's my favorite all-time Bigfoot sighting of anywhere. Not, not just because it's in Fout, but simply because Terry is of the utmost uh, what you want in a witness. I mean, this guy is just, uh, you know, a, a very well-spoken honest guy um he just 
He states the facts. He saw it at a very close range. His story makes sense. I've heard his story over and over. It's always the same. I know his family. His dad was there right after the sighting who can uh, also back it up. Just some really fine people. And Terry, uh, my book is the first time Terry's story has been told. And this documentary is the first time he's ever spoken on camera. And he simply said, you know, because I know your approach to this, what you've done with the book, I'll agree to be in the documentary. And I said, you know, Seth is the same, what he does in his films, we're letting you tell the story. And uh, so that, you know, I was just really excited that Terry's uh, account was actually going to be told by Terry in the movie. Wow. Mm. That's truly, truly extraordinary. And wow, what a if that doesn't want to make you go watch this film, I don't know what. That's uh, that's so awesome. I have no words. <laughs> right on, uh, guys. How has the area, how is the, how is this area different today than it was at the time um, of the in, in, uh, pardon me, incidents that uh, inspired the legend by Creek? How how has it changed? Uh, I, I mean, the only thing Lyle's going to know that better than I am, but the only thing I can say is that, uh, one of, one of the guys in our movie actually said that there's probably less people in the woods down there now than there would have been back then. Um, and, and Falk back then was a little bit more, um, had a, at least from, from what I recall from him telling me is that there, there would have actually been a little bit more of a boom down there directly in Falk, uh, back in the, you know, the fifties and sixties than there is now. So I, I, from what I know, um, you know, today directly in Falk and, and even down near the bottoms, it's, it's very much the same, if not, uh, even more, um, sparsely populated today, but Lyle knows. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly in some ways there's areas that have changed, um, They've built a new highway through there, but the highway literally cuts through the woods. They're, they built a highway, but there's no, there's nothing. There's no convenience stores, nothing on the side of the highway, um, and it all just cuts through the woods. You've got more farming areas than you did back then, so a lot of the area has been clear cut. Uh, but at the same time, you've you know you've got twenty thousand acres in the Sulphur River Wildlife Management Area alone that is untouched, and a lot of that is just the uh, you know, bottomlands that thus far uh, still flood in the way they always have, and it's not something you can develop. So while Falk is relatively close to Texarkana, which is a, you know, metropolitan area, it is still very much a world away, as as we say in the movie. Um, and that's a fact, is when you drive there, you, you – you kind of go not not really back in time, but just into another portion of of small town America. Uh, just you can exit the highway and quickly be in the woods. And the more I've gone down there, the more I realize how much wooded area there there really still is. I mean, you can drive for miles and miles and be in the back roads. And uh, so, you know, in some ways. There has, like any place, there has been some development, but a lot of it's remained the same. And like Seth was saying, that uh, you know, in fact, there's there's probably less people because, as one guy points out in the movie, is a lot of people just aren't into going in the woods anymore. We got you know direct TV and video mm-hmm. games, and people just come after work and hang out in their house. So back in those days, 
uh, in times past, I mean, that's what people did. They just went hunting and fishing or in the woods constantly, uh, in the deep woods. And a lot of those encounters came from those, you know, old timers that were down there, Smokey Crabtree and his family. They lived in the woods. You know, so yeah, you got to remember in the '60s and '70s that you're talking about rabbit ears were what how you got TV reception. You didn't have, you know, uh, there were a lot of areas that did not, it, and there wasn't 10,000 TV shows. So, so there was five channels, and they were all in black and white, and and uh, you had to have adjust the have the kid hold the rabbit ears just the right way to watch TV. So people didn't go to that much ever. They actually did, and kids went out. I mean, you grew up going and playing outside. So if you lived in Falcon, Arkansas, you're talking about the outside being the woods. That that was kind of what they did back then as opposed to now, like you said, you know, kids playing, yeah, you know, with, having virtual reality instead of real reality. Right, which, you know, could, uh, you know, I wouldn't, it's hard to say whether there was more sightings back then than there are now. There's certainly flaps of time when there's a bunch of sightings in a row. So, you know, the one thing, you know, why people say, eh, you don't get just as many reports. Well, you know, there's not as many people in the woods now. And, you know, as it was back then. So, you know, who knows? You, you, I try to put these and uh, analyze the sighting trends according to mm-hmm. all these things. But, yeah, you know, it's not a precise science and it all just comes down to the fact that credible people still see a creature fitting the description in the area and having seen the area, knowing it very well and have traveled the woods and waterways, I think it's, you know, still quite a plausible um, situation for these creatures to exist down there. Well, like you said, you have reports on an ongoing basis as recently you said as May of this year. So it's not, you know, not like there's, there's no reports anymore. It's, um, it's, and it's going to vary with season. It's going to vary with, you know, always we are talking about that, that it takes two, two things to have a Bigfoot encounter, a Bigfoot and a, and a human. So those, that's uh, population variances and stuff include our factor into that, that, uh, the number of reports and the frequency. Seth, one of the things that I, I mean, I, I really appreciate about your approach to, to creating these documentaries that one, they are true documentaries. They're not, you know, they're not mock you dramas and they're not based on, uh, they're not documentaries based on actual events. These are, these are the folks that, um, that were there, the, the folks that have, have lived in the area since then. And I mean, your, your approach is a very kind of immersive uh, approach. You go to the area, you, you know, and you, you have at times you're uh, having to break down some uh, resistance because folks have seen how the subject is, is handled um, in a lot of ways by other media, uh, how did you develop this approach of of storytelling in you know uh, the way that you have created these three uh, to date documentaries? Yeah, I think that comes from 
newspaper reporting, which is what I did for about eight years, and I still do freelance newspaper reporting here and there. So I've I've been speaking to people who aren't accustomed to be you know speaking to press for quite a while. Um, and what I learned very early on was just to talk to them, um, just and listen more so than talk. So your your job is to listen to them and let them tell their story rather to interject you know, whatever my opinions are or whatever. Um, so yeah, that was, that's something that I learned with newspaper reporting. And then it, when it comes to this particular subject matter, the, you know, the, the, the cryptozoology or paranormal or whatever we're, we're focused on, um, it's putting them in, in at ease and making sure that they know that we're not making a mockery and that we're not capitalizing on them either. Um, that's a big, you know, a big part of all this as well. So it's, it's funny cause we're working on, we're working on our next movie, which is the Mothman. We're, we're doing a movie about the Mothman. And on Wednesday this past week, I was speaking to a lady in Point Pleasant, not, not, interviewing her but just speaking to her and she's someone who has spoken to media and um and been in a lot of these documentaries about the mothman and all that kind of stuff and and i was talking to her just telling you know listening to her tell me her recollections of the day the the silver bridge collapsed and i asked her in advance um you know, ahead of when we're going to do, we're doing her interview sometime in January. And I said, am I allowed to broach this particular subject? And she said, you know, you're, you're the first interviewer who's ever asked me in advance if you, if you could even broach, you know, that particular subject, because it's a subject that is extremely personal to her. It's something connected with the, the silver bridge collapse that affected her entire life. And I was aware going into it that I did not want to spring that question on her, but it's, it's that kind of thing, you know, like knowing in advance. And here's the thing about that. She told me after I had said that, that she would actually more than likely be willing to talk to me about that on camera, something she's never spoken about on camera to anyone else, just because I asked her in advance to make sure it wasn't something where I was putting her on the spot, um, when we're doing the interview. So, and like I said, this is all stuff. Lyle, the Lyle's approach to the subject is really similar to mine. And I learned a lot about how to, to do this type of thing from reading his book. So that's something I'm a hundred percent sure that he is familiar with. And I can remember the very first conversation I had with Lyle, which was at OBC back in 2014, I think. And we were, we were actually talking about, kind of interviewing witnesses at the time. And that was something we, we kind of talked about was that idea of letting them talk uh, more so than you just learning to listen is kind of the, the biggest part of conducting these interviews and making the films for me. And again, like it all boils down to the, the small town monsters movies are movies that as someone who is into these subjects, um, but does not consider myself, um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not as out there as you guys are. I don't go out in the woods and and knock on trees and all that stuff. Do the the you know the actual research that you guys put the time in to do. I don't do as much of that stuff as I, as as you guys do. Um, so I wanted to make something that was much more in line with what people like you would want to see mm-hmm. because I wanted you know like I'm sure you guys are as sick to death as of as I am of some of the Bigfoot entertainment that's out there. And so what I wanted to do was 
kind of make something that would appeal to everyone, and, and especially people who might not even be into this particular subject. You know, like when I'm making – weirdly enough, when I'm making these movies, a lot of times I'm thinking of my wife's grandpa who's like this avid hunter. He's always in the woods. He thinks Bigfoot is such a joke. But if you bring up the subject every single time, we'll get in, in one of these weird conversations where he will he'll, – he'll mock at it at first and then after a minute every single time this goes this way he tells me about this one time something screamed at him in the woods and he still doesn't know what it was and so whenever i'm making these movies i'm always i'm always thinking of george i'm like what would you know would george think this <laughs> would george think this was fascinating you know am i am i telling this too dramatically to where george wouldn't like it you know so like i'm always trying to think of the people who might have scoffed at the subject otherwise who who might see one of our movies and say hey maybe there is something to this you know and then obviously there's a there's a huge um aspect of this that is historical preservation for, for me as someone who grew up in a family that's kind of obsessed with history my parents owned a historical bookstore for most of my life um and and were members of conservation historical conservation battlefield conservation societies and all that kind of stuff i grew up in love with history so as silly as Bigfoot might seem to some people, it's a valid part of history. Whether you accept the existence of the creature or not, it is a valid part of the history of these places, especially Falk. Um, so that's, I, get, I get annoyed when people tell me these stories aren't worth telling because there's no Bigfoot. Well, regardless of if there's an actual Bigfoot or not, that, that story, you cannot go into Falk and tell me that that Bigfoot hasn't affected that community, whether or not it exists. It's it, that that entire community and the culture of that community has been affected by the legend of Boggy Creek. So, you know, for me, it's it's making sure we're doing our part to preserve the history of these places and preserve the history of the of the stories that that so many people have come to love and and that have influenced people for for generations. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's, that's exactly that. where where I come from as well. I mean, that exact thing, it's like people, you know, say that, that nobody really criticizes what I do for a living or anything writing these books, but but I say the same thing. The stories are fascinating, and if you try to beat people over the head making them believe, they're less likely to watch it. So my books are written for anybody. I mean, I present the facts, and I'm not trying to sway people's ideas. And the same thing with the documentary. We just let the people talk. And that is an approach where you where you really do get the the person who's sort of a scoffer, but then they see that and go, well, I mean, how do I, what do I say to that? You know, these people aren't crazy. I can see them talking. So that is that is the approach, and and the reason why, uh, you know, I I knew Seth and I saw eye to eye in the approach of this of just tell the story because they're fascinating stories. Um, you, you know, regardless of whether we can prove the creatures or not, and that's that's really where it boils down to for the approach. And that's one of the things that that I have appreciated about um, these this series is that that uh, when I watch it, it's it's a lot like the the way that I approach interviewing witnesses. Is um, I always have felt like the the I'm being invited to participate in this person's experience and that the story belongs to the witness, not to me. So it's not for me to interpret. And that's, 
what I see in the approach of the Small Town Monster series is um, the 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 way that you weave the story and and you know the editing and the cinematography and I mean they're done with such a professional feel to them they don't feel cheesy you know it uh, they're just a, they're they're pleasant to, they're a pleasure to watch um, because uh, you know I'm from the West Coast and and not as seeped in those the the legend of Boggy Creek or the Minerva Monster or the the Beast of Whitehall. You know, we have. I'm I'm hoping that you'll get to uh, Bluff Creek uh, because that that story needs to be told in this this manner. You know, without sensationalism, um, and and with the folks that participated uh, uh, input and and uh, op- allowing them to tell the story and and tell it in a way that is is respectful. And, and, uh, I mean, I, I can't, I'm, I'm a big fan of the small monster, you know, small town monster series. So, um, it, you, you just do a great job with, with allowing folks to tell their story, but the way that you piece it together is, is, uh, sensational to me. So. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so, so, um, What's next for Small Town Monsters? Where where are you going? You were mentioning the Mothman. Yeah, um, yeah. So the <laughs> next up is is the Mothman of Point Pleasant, um, which we we just started filming. Well, actually, we started we started shooting on this back in September, um, and then just during the festival while the festival was going on. But while while the festival was going on, I also went out and I got some footage down by the river and everything. I don't know if you guys know much about the Mothman story or the setting, um, but but Point Pleasant's actually not that far from us where we're based. It's it's about a two and a half hour drive, so it's nothing crazy. So I've been able to kind of drive back and forth between Point Pleasant to actually start working on this movie. So it's much more in line with how we made Minerva Monster than, you know, Beast of Whitehall, where we had to travel to the area, or Falk, where we had to travel to the area. Um, this is much more, you know, it's going to be, the filming's going to be spread out over probably the next, like, month and a half. But the the movie's going to kind of focus on um, the the Mothman sightings, but also, you know, the Silver Bridge collapse, and the, the basically the year that was... Uh, 1966 to 1967, that 13-month period where all this craziness kind of erupted down in that area. And then, um, obviously, I what drew me to that story was the Silver Bridge Collapse, the story of the Silver Bridge Collapse, and actually speaking with one of the the people who lived in the town who had a friend that died on the bridge really kind of drew me into that story. So um, I want to, we, we, you know, like we spoke about the obligation we felt with Falk. This is no different from that. Um, and this is a much more sensitive subject than, than Falk was in that there were actually, you know, 46 people that lost their lives on the bridge. So you have to be very respectful, uh, respectful to the people in the community. So our next, yeah, our next film is the Mothman of Point Pleasant. And, um, Actually, as long as we're on here and we're talking about this, I guess I'll mm-hmm. go ahead and and bring this up. But we're we're actually going to partner with Lyle on this film as well. So Lyle's executive producing the film, um, and we'll see what happens as far as the actual you know like involvement. Uh, we've talked about possibly having him narrate it too. So, um, but 
I really felt like Lyle added a ton to to Boggy Creek Monster, and creatively he helped me through a lot of things. He he helped me edit narration and and really kind of that that movie was a bear to work on. I mean, it really was. And without Lyle kind of involved creatively, I don't know that it would have come together like it did. I mean, obviously, I don't think we could have made the movie period without Lyle. But um, just from the storytelling standpoint, I think having him involved elevated the entire Small Town Monster series. So I wanted to continue working with Lyle moving forward. So um, he's 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 going to be involved with us at least on this project and hopefully even beyond that. So so Lyle is officially a a small town monsters uh, team member and um, much much needed too. I think so. I'm kind of excited about that. But yeah, that's I don't know Lyle. If you want to say anything about that being involved with us, the horror of having to continue <laughs> to work with me. <laughs> Remember, the love, we I'm are a family about, show. <laughs> I'm all about the horror, man. No, no, it's actually, yeah, this is this is a major announcement. We were have been talking wow. about this for a while, and uh, yeah, it, I, I'm excited to be a part of that. Uh, I had a great experience working on the Boggy Creek Monster documentary, obviously, and uh, you know, love the the final outcome and and see this as something that. Uh, uh, as far as me having a foot into films, which I've always kind of, you know, been looking out for, but it's not something I could spearhead on my own. I'm, I'm busy on some other projects, but this is a perfect way to collaborate with somebody who's already doing great stuff and team up and to uh, continue, you know, to bring bring these great documentaries to uh, to the world. So yeah, it's a it's a great honor to be you know, a part of this and looking forward to the Mothman. I've been up there to Point Pleasant several times. And, you know, one of the, one of my favorite spooky uh, cases and, and certainly applies to the, to the most famous of small town monsters cases. So yeah, look forward to that going forward. Well, uh, that's but yeah, we're really we, exciting. We've news. got the, we've got that coming in 2017 and then hopefully we're going to work on, something else toward the mid to latter part of 2017 as well with an eye for release in 2017. What what I'd love to do, and this is, you know, like my big idea, but I don't, you know, it's one of those things that how realistic is it? And you don't want to rush these films over. It's all about, you know, taking your time, make sure everything's perfect. But um, I'd love to have two out in 2017. So that's kind of the, for sure, the Mothman movie, we're, we're launching a Kickstarter for, everything we're doing work-wise in 2017. So it's, it's going to the Kickstarter we're launching in February should kind of encompass um, everything as far as the Mothman. And we're putting out a book that's actually going to be like a travel guide at some point. We're starting to work on that. So that's on the docket. And, and then we've got, you know, a second movie that I'm eyeing to start shooting hopefully next summer. It's a story that I'm kind of in love with and, and uh, I'm hoping to, to have a couple things, a couple, what do you call it? Eggs, eggs on the pan. Is that a, is that a saying? <laughs> eggs sure. on the pan. <laughs> I just made it up. It is now. Yeah. So I will, okay. going forward, I will use eggs on the pan. What Thank are you doing? You. I got, I've sure got you... three eggs on the pan. So. So beyond, beyond, beyond Mothman, what is the, what is the one that's percolating and 
in uh, your creative mind there, if you don't mind sharing. Um, I mean, I've talked. There's a few, but I mean, I I don't know. Oh, I mean, honestly, it's not that much of a secret because I mentioned it on Coast to Coast a couple times. But like, I really want to yeah, make okay. a Momo yeah. movie at some point. Um, so a Momo movie is one I would like to do, and then I'd like to do something about Champ, uh, the lake monster that's up in Lake Champlain. Um, oh, I, I know Vermont, a guy. New York. You you know I know a guy that could help you on that. Yeah. Champ? Oh, yeah. who is it? Will well, uh, Scott Martis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Scott. Yeah. Supposed to be. So you, I'm guy. sure you're familiar with Scott. Him. Oh yeah, yeah, I haven't got to talk to him, but I. We can hook you up. Cool. Shane, did you have a question? Sorry, yeah, I, well, I wanted to mention. Yeah, yeah, no, I wanted to mention because um, it hasn't been mentioned yet. But you know, Buck Creek Monster was uh, an official selection of the Hollywood International Independent Documentary Awards uh, for quite a few things. You know, best feature, uh, best narration. Um, Best score, best cinematography. I mean, that's quite an accomplishment, Seth. And, and kudos to Lyle for his part in it as well. I mean, that's that's something. Uh, I see a progression here of really just neat things, uh, great documentaries, and I think it's finally being recognized. Yeah, that was actually we we won for for those. So that's for us. For us, that was huge because with Beast of Whitehall, we had entered in film festivals as well, but we hadn't really won. I think we won, we won maybe six awards, I think total out of, out mm-hmm. of all the, the festivals we entered, but I've been told by other filmmakers who make these kind of, you know, paranormal or, or genre, you know, very genre specific kind of documentaries. Don't even bother submitting them to film festivals is what I'm typically told because, and understandably so, not understandably from the, the respect of the people that are actually viewing them, but understandably I'm given that advice because typically filmmakers make these movies about this stuff and it's laughed off or ignored regardless of the quality. Um, but for some reason, the the Boggy Creek Monster has, uh, you know, and maybe it's its ties to the original, to, to the Charles B. Pierce movie that it seems a little more acceptable to, to film people, you know, to snobby film people. <laughs> uh, but, but it seems like, it seems like it's going to be, um, th- this is just the start 20. It's weird. It's going to be a really, un- I just told Lyle the other day, I think 2017 is going to feel more like we just released the movie than 2016 has because, um, the movie's out to numerous film festivals and, and, Weirdly enough, we've been requested to submit by two of the f- biggest film festivals in the country. Um, one of them, um, I, I don't want to tell either of them in case they don't accept us, but they both, <laughs> they yeah. both, they both requested <laughs> us to actually submit to them, which is kind of cool because you don't, you know, that that doesn't happen um, for films, especially small films, to get asked to submit, and and the one film festival actually both film festivals are oscar qualifying film festivals um so they're major kind of you know hollywood elite kind of film festivals one of them is a little smaller than the other but the other one is massive as in um martin scorsese's spoken done their keynote speech all times and this is the film festival that actually asked us to submit so um and that's just happened in the last couple of days so i don't even think i told wow. all about that <laughs> Wow. You heard it here first on Monster Trader. Yeah. 
stuff like this does happen so fast that you can hardly communicate fast enough, you know, over the, as it goes, which is good. I mean, that's the that's the train rolling and the testament to the fact that they're good films because <laughs> people are actually paying attention, even though it is a Bigfoot film. So all, all the better. Yeah. The movie yeah, came I mean, out at a at a strange time too because we were up against we were up against the election news and all that stuff. So it was a movie that I think for a lot of people, Boggy Creek Monster might have slipped by. But it's also been one where I I never really had a concern about that. I I've always known that this will kind of percolate and you know it'll find its audience outside of just our supporters. Our, our you know the people that buy our movies and support our movies and support the Kickstarters and help us get each movie kind of going are, are always insanely supportive. As soon as something comes out, you know, they're there for us. But for something like this, there's a, a huge audience of people who are aware of the legend of Boggy Creek who would be fascinated by this movie. It's just, uh, as with everything, we're a tiny independent film company, um, you know, who has to kind of rely on word of mouth and people talking about, our stuff online or whatever, you know, telling a buddy over the water cooler at work um, to kind of get the word out because we, we don't have some million-dollar budget to, to run trailers before, you know, Rogue One. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I think it was perfect, perfect time for this to come out because I think, I know for me personally, I was so sick of politics and election and this, and it's just it's depressing. What a, what a resource, an avenue to relieve my, my burden brain uh, and, and, and delve into uh, such a great topic and a great documentary. I think uh, it was a great time, and, and I think it, the timing was perfect. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, I hope well, so. I, I, I wanted to take it and, and congratulate you on the recognition that your your films are starting to get, because it is uh, uh, it, it is uh, unusual to see any kind of Bigfoot film made with the quality that you guys are, are putting into it. So it speaks volumes to that. Like you said, in spite of the subject, which in, in uh, the mainstream media seems to be, you know, mostly a punchline um, that, that they're getting the attention of, of these award shows. So congratulations. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Seth, I talked to you oh, well over a year ago, probably closer to two. Um, I think I was interviewing you um, for about the Minerva Monster. And, but anyways, we were talking about funding then. I remember, uh, I think it was a, kind of a private phone call. We were talking about a few things. But, you know, funding uh, for these, I mean, putting these documentaries and doing the research, it's not free. It costs money. It's It's a huge burden on yourself really i mean it's it's fun no doubt but it is it is it is not free it costs money um it these are you know small uh smaller scale productions but still cost money how um are you seeing things uh getting a little bit easier uh since you're getting a little bit of notoriety or or is it still a difficult to bring these these together i i think for any independent filmmaker any independent content producer of any kind it's it's always going to be a challenge a huge challenge mm-hmm. of it even even boggy creek monster uh we ran the kickstarter for that and raised the most money we've raised on any of our kickstarters and it was to to a lot of people uh involved or not involved it probably seemed like a lot of money but um 
I think it was, I think we raised $17,000, but you know, like with our Kickstarters, we like to flip the rewards back to the people that back. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're backing at a high level, you're getting basically the amount of merchandise or whatever, you know, whatever our rewards are back that you put into it. So that's something I'm always really conscious of because I back Kickstarters a lot too. And I've backed Kickstarters where I felt like I got ripped off. So like I'm always really conscious of that when I'm when I'm backing these campaigns and when we're creating the campaign we go through all that kind of stuff. So with with Boggy Creek Monster, I think at the end of the day the movie was probably made for anywhere from six to eight thousand dollars. Which if you've seen the movie, I mean it's a feature length movie. Jeez, um, yeah, it's a feature length movie and and it's a movie that I had to take a crew of of uh, what was our crew? Lyle, five. I I had five guys. Oh including yeah. myself and then Lyle was down there. Um, so that, that was kind of the official crew. And then our a buddy of mine came down with his son, Mark and Andy came down. And so, I mean, with, with everyone, uh, we probably had nine guys down there or more, 10 guys probably um, working on this film down there. And we had rental equipment, you know, we went out of our way. We really wanted this one to look better than our other films. So we rented a cinema camera. We rented this, really great low light camera called the a7s2 we had gimbals we had i mean it was we we had rental vans and hotel costs and all kind of stuff i'd never had to deal with but um so i don't know that it's gotten easier i i I think what i'm starting to learn is how to flip um one movie into the next so our so our proceeds from from sales on one movie we kind of flip into the m- making of the next movie so that's what I'm I'm trying to fund Mothman right now out of my own pocket so I'm making Mothman with my own money um, and then we're going to run a Kickstarter probably you know right at the beginning of February February second we're running a Kickstarter for that one and I'll kind of use that to help fund the post production but honestly I kind of have fun with the fund. Uh, funding of these films it's kind of uh, it's a really interesting part and i think you learn a lot you know like you learn a lot just about filmmaking and and how to deal with budgets and all that kind of stuff but i think i think what we're learning is that um you don't need a hundred thousand dollars to make a good movie a good documentary it's that's a number that i see thrown a lot around uh thrown around a lot is a hundred you know to make a really good high quality documentary you start at a hundred thousand dollars and i think i think we are kind of making movies that would fly in the face of that having said that i think if we were doing something where we were following around say we were making a movie about the olympic project if we were tasked with following the olympic project around you know for for like half a year i'm sure you would get up into the you know hundred thousand dollar range but for for what we're learning to do um you know, on on these films is kind of to to stick to a low budget, but to make it as high as quali- high quality as possible, and to continue elevating um, our filmmaking skills with with each movie. And I, the Mothman movie, just from what I've seen already, I think it's it's very different visually from Boggy. It's going to be very different visually from Boggy, but it's going to be, you know, continuing to build on what we've learned and making ourselves better and better with each film. So. I, I enjoy the funding side of things and, and the, the producer side of things. Almost not, not as much as the directing and the storytelling, but it's, it's definitely a large part of you know, operating. Um, but it's not, I don't think it's easy. 
I don't, I don't think if we had an audience of, of a million, it would be any easier um, unless we had, you know, some funding, some outside funding coming from some like anonymous donor who is just giving us thousands of dollars. Just because no matter what, you know, like the way I operate, if we were given more money, I would probably just use that to, to you know, flip into the movie itself. You know, I'd rent a helicopter and and get crazy aerial footage or I'd, I'd use it somehow in the funding of the, in the making of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're definitely you're, you definitely have to enjoy what you do and have a passion for it because I mean right now you're definitely not getting rich off this. Uh, it's it's a labor of love. <laughs> yeah, we're not. Yeah, for sure. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, you know, pe- people told me this when I started writing books on this subject. Ah, oh, this is you'll never make any money at this. You really, you know, or whatever. It's like. I find creative ways to fund my research and all mm-hmm. that and to to make it work because these, these books take a long time to write, just like these films with development. And uh, But, you know, I this is what I do for a living. And, and uh, you know, I, I work for a magazine as well and, that all, and, you know, play in a band, but I don't have a real job. And people told me all kinds of stuff but I find ways to do it um, that I can keep doing it and the books sell well because I think it doesn't matter what your budget is if you make a good product that's the most important thing you know it's and that's that's where a creative person and, and one reason Small Town Monsters has been successful Seth finds a way to make a movie for that low of a budget yet it looks uh, better than I mean, I, I personally know people who made movies for much more than that, and they look—they don't look half as good as that, and they certainly aren't as compelling. So I think it's—it's it's part of the talent is being able to work within a budget and and make something out of it. You know, you don't want to spend so much that you can never make another film. You got to be within the realms of what you can realistically do, yet make a good product, and that will propel propel you to be able to make the next one and the next one, and eventually. Uh, small town monsters progresses into a a big documentary film company or, or whatever, and that that's the cool thing about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it's quite the undertaking. Whether uh, you're in the field act- actively researching and, and looking at historical reports and going places and, and making a documentary, right? it's truly you have to have a passion for this, and and you have to be at the end of the day be successful, you have to be good at it in, in certain fashion. Lyle, you're fantastic at, at what you do, and, and uh, Seth, amazing at what you do as well. Uh, Seth, you have a website. Do you mind talking a little bit about your, your website? Uh, the My website looks like trash right now, but it is smalltownmonsters.com, <laughs> and I, I, I've I've got like a brand new website ready to go, but I'm having all this trouble with the uh, FTP server or whatever it's called. My, we've got a, a site my wife designed. It's like ready to ready to roll out. It looks awesome. Um, but Small Town Monsters is kind of supposed to be the information base. The movies are are all for sale through shop.smalltownmonsters.com. And then our, I tell people to just go to our Facebook page. Um, to like keep up to date because I'm doing live videos and I did videos while we were actually down in, in Point Pleasant filming and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we're trying to do more like while we were making Boggy Creek Monster, we did all these production diary videos. I, I really am trying to show 
people what the actual challenges are connected with making the films. And I've been ridiculously blessed with the making of these movies to have the guys with us, you know, that I do. I, uh, last time I was on Monster X, I had Brandon Dalo with me, and Brandon's still a huge part of the team. He did the music for Boggy, and I think it's like his, his best score so far. And he did all the sound work on Boggy as well. So he was down. He's not just like recording an entire soundtrack, but he's also standing there during the interviews holding the boom mic. And my buddy Zach did all the cinematography and all that kind of stuff. But we're trying to create these production diaries to post on the, on the different sites and social media and stuff to show people, Hey, this is what the actual process of making one of these films is like. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a fun additional way to, to be a part of the small town monsters uh, crew and to actually get to see, cause you're actually seeing the town in a different context from what you will within the film, which is uh, our stylized context. We're going to show you within our movie when we're doing these behind the scenes things, you know, it's much more uh, reality based. It's us in that, in that setting kind of making the film. So um, yeah, I, I just tell people if they want to buy the movie shop that com on DVD. And then um, we're streaming through Amazon uh, Whitehall beast of Whitehall is actually free through Amazon prime right now so if, if people haven't seen that they, and they're a prime subscriber they can actually watch it for free through amazon prime and then um vimeo you can watch kind of digital versions of the movie through vimeo on demand but um yes and then our youtube channel has a lot of that stuff i was just talking about so behind the scenes videos and and make sure to hit up the social media stuff so twitter and instagram and facebook and all that fun fun nonsense Fantastic. Uh, Lyle, you have um, you, you you're all sent off and written books. You have all, you are also working on a um, a book entitled Beyond Boggy Creek in Search of the Southern Sasquatch. Uh, do you mind talking about a little bit about about that uh, book you're in in the works? Uh, sure. Yeah, that's going to be coming out February uh, through Anomalous Books, which has published uh, most of my other books. Um, basically, you know, I had so many other cases that I'm familiar with, inter- uh, interviews with witnesses and stuff that I thought, you know, I wanted to write sort of the uh, ultimate Southern Sasquatch book. And I started sort of with the premise of, uh, you know, the Boggy Creek case may be the most famous, and it's certainly one of those that uh, has a lot of uh, incidents associated with it. But there are countless other fascinating cases and other small town monsters, so to speak, all throughout the southern U.S. Um, and so I've been working on it for about two years, and I sort of used the premise of traveling the creeks and the landscapes and the waterways to guide myself and take the reader uh, throughout the history of Bigfoot sightings in the south, talk about the historical accounts and also uh, examples of modern sightings. So it's been quite a huge undertaking, whereas, you know, doing something very detailed in one town or in one case is, you know, uh, a project unto itself, but to cover uh, about 10 states is what I ended up doing, the, the deep, deep south, and trying to cover in detail the history of Bigfoot sightings all throughout this was quite, quite an undertaking, probably, uh, you know, Oh, you know, I may have tried to bite off more than I could chew, but truly the resulting book, I think, is going to be 
really good, and uh, so I'm looking forward to that coming out uh, in the in the new year. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, you know, both uh, you know, uh, Lyle, your your books uh, would make fantastic Christmas presents, and and of course, Seth. You know your 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 series in Minerva Monster, Beast of Whitehall, and uh, Bobby Creek Monster, fantastic Christmas presents. Uh, I would imagine, uh, I would hope so that people um, look look you guys up and and and, and uh, you know maybe make some purchases there for family and friends interested in the subject or not interested in the subject. Lyle, where can people find uh, your books? Where can they purchase your books? Well, my books are available in all flavors. You can find them on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, iTunes in the ebook format. You can get that in Kindle and Nook. Um, if you would like autographed copies, uh, you can get that through my online store, which is monstrobizarro.com, or better yet, just go to my website at lyleblackburn.com, and that will provide links to all the uh, pertinent inf- information uh, about where to buy the books or of course, there's links to buy the, the documentary and, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, just check out LyleBlackburn.com. Fantastic. And uh, Lyle, also, where do you have any upcoming um, appearances? Uh, I know I know one particularly because I spoke there uh, this year with the International Bigfoot Conference. I've heard that you're going to be a, a guest speaker up in Washington for that conference come next year. What else, uh, what else have you got going on for uh, this upcoming year? Uh, yeah, quite a few appearances lined up um, so far. There, were, there was talks of a, a Nebraska Bigfoot conference uh, in February, but I have firmed up the details. I thought that was an interesting one, uh, but I, I don't have details on that one, unfortunately. But uh, I'll be doing a, a book signing uh, in March, on March 16th, at my local library, which is in Bedford, Texas. That's going to launch my uh, Beyond Boggy Creek book. Um, I'll be a guest at Texas Frightmare Weekend in Dallas this uh, coming May, which is it's a horror convention, but we're also going to screen the Boggy Creek Monster documentary. And that that convention draws more than ten thousand people. It's it's quite a big one. Um, I'll be a speaker at the Ohio Bigfoot Conference this year, which is a great honor and my second time to appear as a speaker there. And like you said, in September, the International Bigfoot Conference. Uh, the week after that, I'll be in Kentucky at CryptidCon. I, I encourage people to check that one out. There's a link on my website to that. That's going to be a really cool one in Kentucky. And then on and on, the Texas Bigfoot Conference, as always, in October. So lots of appearances. So if you go to my website, actually, you can sign up for my email newsletter in that way. You wouldn't have to remember to check back. I could shoot out the dates, and then if I'm appearing anywhere near you, then uh, that's really cool because uh, I always enjoy meeting people, hearing stories, and to uh, get out there on the road uh, at these events are always really fun. And besides, you, if you're looking for – we're going to go ahead and post a link to – to uh, the Small Town Monsters and Lyle's information on the Monster X page so Monster X listeners can find it easily. We uh, uh, appreciate it. Before we, we uh, end tonight, is there anything else that either of you gentlemen would like to share with our listeners? I was I was actually trying to think. We're, we're doing – there's going to be screenings of this movie during – 
during 2017 and i'm assuming coast to coast you're gonna there's gonna be opportunities to see this kind of around the country my my i would think the only thing you would need to do though is just keep an eye on uh you know our facebook page and stuff like that for more information because right now i other than we're we're definitely screening it at eric altman's uh pennsylvania bigfoot camping adventure which is kind of a cool setting he does this uh camp out um in pa and i can't remember the name of the town but he does this camp out and we actually show the movie outside and they do like a bigfoot hike afterward and all kinds of stuff so i'm I'm actually going to be at that and that's in early may um but uh, other than that off the top of my head right now oh i know the the i'm doing a uh a boggy creek monster beast of whitehall and minerva monster screenings in san francisco at the Bigfoot Bonanza, which is is kind of my mm-hmm. first jaunt out to out to the West Coast, and I'm doing uh, I'll, I'll actually be at that event with Cliff Berrickman, Craig Flippy, and Kathy Strain, which I'm insanely right. excited about finally getting to meet Kathy Strain because she's like one of my my uh, heroes and all this stuff. I've been a huge fan of hers for a long time, so I'm I'm pumped to meet her and Bob. But um, that's taking place in March, I think March 11th and 12th, and I'll be speaking at that a little bit too. So I know um, Kathy is actually going to precede the the Boggy Creek Monster screening one day. So she's actually going to speak and then kind of be the lead-in to Boggy Creek Monster. So that should be a really cool kind of film festival slash Bigfoot conference that's that's going on in San Fran. And you can just look them up on facebook or keep an eye on our facebook page we keep, we've been sharing links to to their stuff a lot well thank you gentlemen um for joining us here this evening on monster x radio we look forward to uh i, I know i'm i'm going now i'm really chomping at the bit to go watch the boggy creek documentary um ever after, after having the opportunity to talk to you guys about it uh, i was thinking that you know the uh, you almost couldn't have done this documentary without without uh, including Lyle. So, I mean, it would have it would have felt kind of uh, uh, like where the heck is you know here's the guy that is the the uh, expert on on the subject who's immersed his life in in the Boggy Creek uh, story, and uh, mm-hmm. so it was it was a huge uh, brilliant move to to work with Lyle and I'm, it's cool that it's worked out that uh, you guys are working together going forward because uh, um, I'm sure uh, as you progress through the you know you're, uh, the first one was good Minerva Monster was excellent uh, the Beast of Whitehall also was excellent so I, I it'll be cool just to see as you progress and uh, like I so, said folks you should watch for um, the um, crowdfunding efforts when uh, when they get posted and be sure and and jump in uh, always cool uh, benefits for the people that that uh, contribute to the to the funding of these movies so and uh, gentlemen I thank you again for joining us this evening at Monster X Radio and for my co-host Shane Hardcore Corson this is Gunnar Monson and uh, we will be playing uh, a pre-recorded show uh, that we've already done for you uh, the next couple of weeks because we've got next next Sunday is Christmas and the following weekend is New Year's 
and uh, hope that everybody has a great Christmas and be safe out there on the, uh, when you're traveling to and from your uh, holiday destinations. And uh, don't drink and drive, don't text and drive, and, and have a great time. We'll be back uh, live with you uh, the week of January 8th, I believe, is the, the next live show. So, for, again, for uh, all of us at Monster X Radio, have a great Christmas, and we'll see you soon.